0: This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland.
1: What is up, Wildcatter Nation? Welcome back to another episode of Your Favorite Podcast. You know, it's been a long time since we've had anybody on the show. I think since Data Gumbo, but that was like literally probably in the first 10 15 episodes I
2: think data gumbo was in the first five episodes maybe in the
1: first five and that was like in 2018 And you know? i don't think yeah. we've had a have we had anybody else
2: on that's mm-hmm. been focused on blockchain no i mean you've had bitcoin mining like crusoe, yeah we had, had crusoe no oh, and actual blockchain yeah applications so anyways but, and the world's
1: changed a lot so like back then like you know crypto was like kind of making it out into like mainstream and the hype was real and Everybody thought Doge Coin was going to be worth nothing, and then now it's worth a lot. <laughs> but
0: we're not here to talk about crypto. Elon, right? <laughs> we're here to,
1: ta- here to talk about blockchain and how it uh, pertains to oil and gas. And so we've got our, our boy Kieran with Block Apps here. What's up, man? How are you? Good, buddy. Happy to be here.
2: Yeah. So Elon was the saving grace for for Doge. Coin. The Doge, That's all we needed. Yeah. Yeah. It,
0: you know, Doge. It, it uh, kind of purposefully was meant to not be valuable, and yet you know, <laughs>
2: Still under- Elon intervened. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's funny because I have like tweets. I went back and did a query on my tweet history and. Looked back at how I used to talk about Doge, you know, two or three years ago, and I'm like, man, I wish I would have uh, just gone against my advice and bought some <laughs> Doge. But It's all right, just you a look, little bit, right? Yeah, just yeah. a little bit. That's just, all I needed was a little bit. Just the beauty of the
1: the <laughs> meme stocks, man.
2: So yeah, so tell me a little bit about Block Apps and what Block Apps does, um, and we'll kind of just unpack it from there. Talk about blockchain
0: a bit and what you guys are doing it and how it's applying to the industry. Absolutely, yeah. So. So first and foremost, BlockApps we're an enterprise blockchain company, and kind of what this means is we're not really dealing with any of the crypto aspects. So yeah, there are there's a little bit of enterprise activity touching crypto, but by and large, the enterprises today not ready for it for a whole host of reasons. Um, you know, the data privacy, data being out there, fluctuations mm-hmm. of the currencies. We're very supportive of crypto, but it's kind of the wild west. Uh, the businesses we deal with are typically big businesses. That are treating us like they treat their other enterprise software SaaS vendors. So, mm-hmm. uh, covering a variety of use cases. Um, my background uh, before the business, I was in grad school actually. I was uh, in a math department working in mathematical physics, um, and worked on Ethereum, that the project before I launched. So, do have all of that background. Cool. Know you know Vitalik reasonably well. Uh, you know, helped work on the protocol in the very early days. Uh, so, kind of came from the technical side. Started to realize that the tech was really there. Actually, even then, you know, there was a lot to be done, but you could see that you weren't needing to solve big tech problems to get the technology out there. More, it was how how are people going to adopt? Was it going to be consumer? Was it going to be businesses? Um, how would we get this into the hands of the masses? And, and in a way, you get it to be invisible, like other technologies that everyone expects. Yeah. So um, that's that's sort of how we started. Uh, so we pretty early on, built a platform aimed at the enterprise called Strato. And uh, to start that, that was um, general purpose, right? Any vertical, we had banks, um, we, you know, Bayer Crop Science is one of our big customers, agribusiness seed, we've got beef now, you know, so across uh, cross vertical, but have honed in on the oil and gas sector as well. That's why I'm in town. Uh, I was here for the fifth blockchain and oil and gas conference. That was Monday, Tuesday. Yeah. Um, and, you know, oil and gas is a market where you see very complicated cross-business contractual arrangements. Very big, complicated supply chains. Um, huge push for sustainability right now, um, and nothing happens alone in oil and gas. You know, everyone's everything's a joint venture, and everyone wants to know what everyone else is doing. So, uh, in that way, it's a really good fit for blockchain technology um, compared to other industries that are a little more closed off, competitive. Um, yeah. and less able to work together.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, I was talking about blockchain applications and oil and gas, I don't know, 40 years ago. And back then, you know, it was just really in its infancy in terms of people understanding You know, what is blockchain. I still don't think a lot of people understand what blockchain is um, very intimately. You know, when they think of blockchain, they might think of Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. So sometimes it's hard to decouple the two ideas of cryptocurrency and blockchain and i like how you kind of framed it as like hey we're just like every other SaaS vendor or software vendor like at the end of the day no one really gives a damn about the technology or the protocols right they care about like hey what's the value proposition what are you guys actually going to achieve for the uh, company and when you look at industries that have um you know just heavy reliance on supply chain and logistics which oil and gas does have i mean it's like blockchain seems like it could solve so many problems and create efficiencies in these processes. So it's exciting to hear, you know, about y'all's, you know, what take y'all are taking on oil and gas. And then, you know, a little bit about yourself. You know, you were in grad school uh, working on the Ethereum project. Someone's not listening to this and they're not familiar with Ethereum. If you're in the crypto world, you know what Ethereum is. But Ethereum, um, one of the largest uh, blockchain projects out there, second only to, you know, Bitcoin, essentially. And you have a lot of uh, decentralized applications being built on there. You have a lot of uh, uh, NFTs and, and, and apes being sold on there right now. Um, but just a lot of cool things happening with Ethereum. How did you guys discover, um, how, did, how did y'all stumble upon the oil and gas industry and some of the problems that the, the industry was facing?
0: Yeah, where are you from? Too Uh, myself, I'm from New York City. Still live there. Okay, Uh, did a brief tour in uh, California. uh, for grad school, and then came back. Um, But uh, so I'm I'm in Houston. It used to be before the pandemic, you know, four times a year, maybe six. Yeah. Um, this is my first time back in the you know uh, the after times or the during times, if you will. But um, it was great to do a face to face conference here. Also, you know, things are. Uh, I've, I've missed that, but, um, yeah, the company's largely in, uh, in Brooklyn and New York, uh, okay. but we're growing our Houston presence. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. So how did you
2: guys, um, you know, you, you said earlier that y'all had different clients, you know, from banking mm-hmm. to other industry verticals, how did y'all discover oil and gas being up in New York and- make your way down to Houston?
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, good question. So one of our, our first high-profile projects was with uh, BHP Billiton. Obviously, mm-hmm. they're uh, mining and oil and gas, but it was sort of pushed out of the Houston office. And it was a uh, supply chain and orientation. And so that, that went well, and we started to kind of hone in on it as a potential sector. Um, we did more in energy, uh, to some energy trading efforts uh, fairly early on in the history of the company. And as we, maybe it was 2018, um, no, no tw- 2019, we had yeah. enough going that uh, we saw, okay, this is a sector that we should focus on. Um, and so uh, in, in the room today for, for the listeners is our kind of oil and gas area representative, John Chappell. Uh, we hired John kind of midway through 2019. And I started to spend uh, a lot of my time here as well um, supporting the industry. Uh, as we've kind of seen more applications. But actually, so one of the things we saw as well is we even really early on, we saw energy and sustainability as a use case. And the first couple uh, customers were startups in that area. Um, but it was, you know, when we started to discuss the, uh, I'll give you a particular use case. So we we have a, a customer that uh, has cogeneration devices. So they take natural gas in, they output uh, electricity and water, and this allows you to claim a reduction on your overall uh, footprint as like a building manager. This was the same price as buying the power from the local utility. You get the hot water for free. Yeah. And, um, you know, eventually you, you can issue a carbon offset against uh, that sort of thing. So we said, okay, this is energy, right? They're not a big energy company. It's a startup. What can we do in this area that's kind of similar? And actually, um, so as we've gone through from 2019 you know the weirdness of 2020 and through 2021 that's been in in a slightly different form the use case that's stuck that that we've had the most interest in so um your your big oil and gas companies they have lots of different challenges right but um there's so much pressure on sustainability right now it's very high profile Coming from consumers, coming from the board level, you've got folks like BlackRock uh, voting in an activist manner, Exxon, the new board member pushing in a sustainable direction. You have courts ordering companies like Shell to reduce their footprint. Yeah. So, kind of, uh, it was a mix of seeing customers in the sector and adjacent to it, but also just the overall kind of societal winds and where they're blowing. Um, has really uh, pushed us into the segment oh, almost more than uh, yeah. you know. What it wasn't our intention on day one when we started. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's
1: dive into that use case that that you mentioned. Uh-huh. What is the advantage of using blockchain over maybe existing technologies for the for the end consumer?
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, great or, question. Or for the customer, so I mean. Let Let me define the use case as well, uh, just mm-hmm. in a little bit more detail. So on Monday at this uh, oil and gas conference, I mentioned we announced something called Trace Carbon. And the aim of Trace Carbon is to help uh, large organizations. Uh, It applies to sectors outside of oil and gas, but oil and gas is where really what it was built for, uh, to first and foremost understand their carbon footprint. So um, staggering statistics that I saw out there. um, In 2011, 20% of the S&P 500 put out a a sustainability report. 2021, it's 90%. So over a decade, huge shift. And people are putting numbers in these reports that um, have, you know, to some extent, they're actually very conservative in how they put the numbers out there. So when they're computing their footprint, they, uh, to some extent, pad the data. Uh, So, you know, they look at their operations and they don't want to be caught out, right? So they add a lot to it. And they look at the reductions they've made. Confidence is so low in the methodology, they're often sorry, under-reporting the reductions by up to 50%. And you know, if you think about the aim of being carbon neutral, um, if you're losing 50% off your reductions, there's a really big cost difference in what it takes to eventually get there. So we've heard that. That's not necessarily something you'll find on the internet. We've heard that consistently from big oil and gas companies when talking to you know, the heads of sustainability all the way up into the CFO office who have to uh, often do the reporting on this. So first yeah. and foremost, it's trace carbon allows you to understand your data. You as an enterprise have a general sense of what your footprint is from all of your from your ERP as far as your financial transactions you're doing with externals. You can attach a footprint to those um, from your operational management system. So if you've got a manufacturing facility, you know everything that's going on there. So you have enough sense of the activity to eventually assign a footprint to it. People are not putting this data together in an easy way. It's very manual. Um, they're not rolling it up at the same time. There's not great agreed methodology on how to calculate your footprint. So there's many competing standards out there. Uh, it's, this is all voluntary activity for the moment, at least yeah. in the United States. And so lots of competing standards. You don't have to pick one. We um, Eventually, you know, it would be nice if there's organic convergence, but our system is agnostic to which methodology you pick, just that... Um, you'll be able to prove that when you made that calculation, you did it according to this methodology and you didn't just fudge the numbers if you're audited later. So first and foremost, the big problem is getting your hands around the data, understanding what your footprint is, where you are today, how effective your remediating actions are. Um, And then you know if you have a carbon sequestration uh, capability, proving that that's effective and then you can claim an offset on it and then have that listed on uh, one of the marketplaces. Also, uh, the product life cycle is, is important. So say you, um, instead of at a corporate level, at a product level, uh, want to know, okay, I shipped this particular set of goods to another company. How can I attach uh, a footprint to that that's very specific uh, to those goods? The system can do that. And actually, um, one of our launch partners is called CarbonSig. It's a product from uh, a subsidiary of Occidental Petroleum Carbon Finance Labs we've had a good partnership with them for some time so that capability is present think of it as labeling so you got a nutrition label on food sort of by government mandate mm-hmm. you don't have a you know you're seeing it a little bit you don't have a sustainability label when you buy you know your chair right what what was the footprint attributed to you there uh that's what carbon sig does so Interesting. it's a again it's aimed at Getting a handle on your operations and the data around your footprint first, and then following that through the value chain to sort of create a, uh, an overall holistic picture of where you yourself, but also what are your suppliers doing, your partners doing, um, are as a whole to get a handle on the numbers uh, and then eventually move towards reduction.
2: So you mentioned Carbon Trace. Is that an app That's under, correct. so it is the company block apps, is I mean, you guys have different applications we do. under the company. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. Carbon so, Trace is one product.
0: That's that's correct. Um, so block apps, our first product, uh, and it's the platform that everything sits atop, is called Strato. And okay. uh, it's an IT-facing product, so developers can build apps on it. And for a while, uh, it was sort of all external apps. But we realized that in a couple key areas, we should build our own, where problem was big enough, important enough to us, and we felt we could really help with solving it. So trace carbon uh, Mm -hmm. being one of those applications. Got you. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's really interesting with ESG reporting because like you said, there is no standardization right now, but there are a lot of people that think that, hey, this needs to be uh, standardized and needs to be tangible, just like financial data is. And so I assume over the next decade, we're going to start to see more standards uh, come in place. But ultimately it's like, you know, I, I think it's a pretty intricate conversation, especially when you start talking about Scope Three mm-hmm. emissions, and it's like, how do you, how do you track that type of stuff? And so, I never thought about blockchain being used in those applications of where you can actually trace the carbon footprint of a product or an operation across the entire, you know, life cycle
0: of the operation. Yeah, you know, it, it's a great point, and our philosophy has always been, you know. Um, let's not let the perfect be the enemy of the good, right? So yeah, uh, the the ecosystem around trace carbon is growing, but there's often times where you just have to uh, input a number with a certain level of confidence or input a methodology that you haven't had time to fact check with some auditor, yeah. some expert, et cetera. Um, but leave the the window open for you to revisit that, especially so again, um, when it comes to scope three, the your external partner hopefully they're on the system already maybe they're not and but leave the open for them the window open for them to come in later and then enrich the data with sort of their side of the story hopefully matching yours and that's kind of where the blockchain network aspect comes in
2: yeah so let's talk about that kind of the uh technical point of the blockchain aspect i mean how does the ledger operate i mean are we talking is this uh is this signature permissions um you know when a lot of people think of blockchain they think of like uh bitcoin for example like proof of work and that's how the ledger is verified how do you guys handle that on on your chain and your platform
0: yeah great question and a a bunch to unpack there so first and foremost we are a permissioned blockchain platform and so I would distinguish that from both public blockchains like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and there's a use case out there for private, like single enterprise blockchains. Um you know, and our software has been used in that way, but the default deployment model is that you're using it with other businesses that you already do business with. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily the whole planet and not just within your our, your walls. Yeah. So so it's like if you know,
2: yourself, Jake, and I are sitting here, we have three parties. And you know, say that we have some smart contract um in place and I put my signature on it, Jake puts his signature on it, you put your signature on it, and boom, it verifies. Is that kind of a yeah layman's terms? Th- of-
0: that's exactly right. And um so so uh implicitly, you know, um we don't have mining, right? So mining is useful in a setting where anyone in the world can join. Do you Obviously see our Bitcoin footprint. miner
2: behind you in oh, the painting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I didn't see the <laughs> <even> more. Yeah. <laughs> um
0: Obviously the footprint of mining is big. And so if we're out there marketing uh, uh you know, get a hold of your carbon footprint solution, we probably shouldn't be, you know, running giant mining rigs and uh <laughs> <Yeah. you> know, <laughs> at the same time. So the, the consensus algorithm is is such that it's very it's pretty lightweight. Really our footprint is just the you know the computers it runs on. And so we're actually able to ourselves uh neutralize the the carbon footprint of the blockchain, you know, fairly inexpensively. Yeah. Um but uh, so, so yeah, you've got a group of permission parties. Um, it's still, so our protocol um, is sort of based on Ethereum, but we've added uh, a lot of extensions to it for enterprise consumption. So ability to handle larger data, more throughput, lower latency. That was the and problem it,
2: yeah. back in the day was that, you know, just block size wasn't big enough in, in enterprise. You didn't really need, you know, sp- really speed and. you um, quickness just and execution really large you just yeah you just needed the ability to pass through large amounts of yeah. data so you guys if i'm we hearing had you, a
0: large data data ingest sort of all the yeah, time right? so if I'll, i'm
2: hearing you correctly um so you guys essentially built off of ethereum but you've um put extensions on it to allow you to have the the block size that you need is that correct
0: yeah, yeah i would say essentially there there are details to it but, yeah. uh, you know, in essence, it's we looked at the enterprise use case. Ethereum has a huge developer community, right? So yeah. everyone likes the idea that they can fairly easily hire someone yeah. that uh, has that expertise. Um, so all the protocols, the APIs are basically the same. Um, but we had to, you know, fiddle with the internals to handle more data, more throughput, you know, uh, different use cases. And privacy yeah. also is a big point. So yeah, absolutely. Um, the way Bitcoin, Ethereum, et cetera, work uh, is... You know, in essence, you put data on the chain, and everyone can see it. Um, now, you might be—you might not identify yourself in Bitcoin and Ethereum. It's pseudonymous, um, mm-hmm. which means that you uh, you have a stable identity, but you know that no, people may not be able to tie it back to you as an individual or the company you work for, etc. Enterprise blockchains typically—you know—the identity of everyone. Um, yeah. So, uh, whenever you're entering into a transaction with someone, and when you're choosing to share data with another party, it'll be but basically by name. Um, yeah. And so this uh, one is very useful. It actually helps with the scaling properties of the system also, but it's handled that big objection that you got for a long time that, okay, you know, I like this idea of one shared ledger, but do I actually have to put my trading activity out there for the public? And it's, of course not. It's yeah uh, on a bilateral basis, if that's, or if it's a trilateral contract, it's three, it's always auditable for parties to come later, but uh, you're sharing uh, data in a very granular way. And it's actually more granular than other solutions you think about Google Sheets, right, you share something with someone, they can see the whole sheet. Yeah. Uh, in our paradigm, you can do it basically, you know, a trade at a time in quotes, like one record, one row. Um, yeah. And you still have all the integrity of the data that blockchain provides. But it's a different model than the public blockchains where all the data is shared. with
1: This episode is brought to you by our friends over at Liquid Frameworks. Liquid Frameworks has become the standard in field operations management software over the past decade with their Field Effects platform. With Field Effects, ENPs and OFS companies can transform how they manage and control field operations while eliminating the mountains of paperwork that comes along with it. Field Effects makes field operations easy and efficient by streamlining communication between the accounting department, field operations, and the entire back office. They're trusted by some of the most respected teams in the industry, such as Stallion Oil Field Services, Superior Energy Service. Services, RPC, basic energy services, key energy services, Liberty oil field services, and anybody else who has services in their name is pretty much a customer. So if you've been thinking about ditching paper and Excel modernizing your field operations and making your guys' lives easier, reach out to the team over there. You can check them out at liquidframeworks.com. They're also gonna be the headlining sponsor and presenting at Energy Tech Night Houston on October 27th, 2021. So if you're listening real time, you can come and check them out. They're gonna be demoing the software live as well. The whole team will be there if you wanna chat with them. Like I said you go to liquidframeworks.com we'll also leave a link in the show notes
2: that's how i always thought about enterprise blockchain several years back was that you could have several companies the companies know who each other are but it allows them to interface with each other without um expo- exposing any proprietary database um, or data information that they have you can select hey you know this is what we're willing to share so that's how i always thought about it yep actually so you're in town for this? What was the uh, blockchain uh, group or conference that you're at? What's it called?
0: Yeah, uh, and it was Monday, Tuesday. Um, okay. So it's called the Blockchain and Oil and Gas Conference. I believe this is their fifth one. Okay. And I think last year was all virtual for obvious. Is that reasons. the
2: consortium, or is it the conference? It's
0: affiliated with the consortium. Okay. So I think the consortium partners with the Energy Conference Network. So okay. Consortium's called um, Blockchain for Energy. Okay and then there's this group called the energy conference network and i yeah. think they kind of jointly put on gotcha. uh, the conference
2: yeah just kind of curious um you know from being at that conference and just working in the uh, working in the space what are your thoughts on adoption for blockchain um applications in oil and gas because you know 2017 when people like really started talking about it, it was still kind of pie in the sky, you know, oh yeah, it's cool to think about, but no one was actually doing anything. Um, what have you seen, you know, boots on the ground, you know, trying to build and deploy the technology in the space. I mean, how are companies talking about it and receiving it now?
0: So it's moving, right? Um, we, so we're, we're uh, uh, we've announced we're a partner to uh vendor to the consortium. So we're working on a use case in seismic entitlement, which I can describe, if you like, after this uh, answer. Um, a lot of the value that... So a lot of the challenge was not technical. Um, it might have been technical four or five years ago. We figured out at least that you know 95% of the problems. And so if you do an implementation and it doesn't go where you want to go, it's not for technical reasons anymore. It's a people mm-hmm. question. And the big achievement of the consortium was to get the folks that you know get a critical mass of people together who can work together on projects, help define sort of um, you know micro standards, if you will. So yeah, um, if you know if you've got a business process and only one company is describing how it works and then tries to sort of you know get the rest of the industry ed- to adopt it, that might not be enough. But if you get three, five to say, okay, yeah, no, um, the data looks like that in our system too. The we agree with how the workflow uh, is going. Then you can work from that small group to define a more of an industry standard and kind of take that out to the wider group as people are ready to join. So, I think the consortium's got 10, 12 members, yeah. something like that, really big oil and gas companies. Um, they've got enough of the buy in, the right knowledge base. Um, you know, they obviously are funding projects to get the use cases that might have started with one of them and not expanded to yeah. uh, through the pilot stage into a larger production. Um, yeah, critical mass. And again, it wasn't a tech challenge. It was that there needed to be legal paperwork between these companies to kind of know how to engage, and mm-hmm. they wanted to. But you know, uh, major A does not want to join major B's blockchain, and, and vice versa. So it's, it's either it's got to come from an external tech company, um, you know, nor- normal SaaS company like us, or yeah. kind of a industry backed, industry funded group, or both. Um, so the consortium again—they're engaging with other vendors than us as well. So yeah, uh, it's kind of a hybrid team approach as we service the the oil, oil and gas majors. Yeah, but that was the big challenge, right? Yeah, yeah. The tech stuff was knocked out by 2018, 2019. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was getting the players together, getting a couple of the use cases that have um, really you know near term benefit, but can also scale to justify bigger investment over time as yeah. the infrastructure gets put. in place.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's been kind of the story as a whole for oil and gas tech is that the tech has been there to solve a lot of problems. It's just a people problem now, just, you know, trying to get adoption and uh, go through some of the nuances of actually uh, transacting and executing. How has it been for you? You know, just kind of your personal story of um, learning the oil and gas industry. I mean, it's a pretty complex industry, um, especially if you didn't grow up in it like I did. Um, you know, learning all the ins and outs of the industry, you know, coming from New York and just kind of diving head first, trying to solve problems. How's that been from a personal point of view?
0: Yeah. Great question. So I've enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I like being in town in here in Houston and, you know, maybe, um, compared to the average New Yorker, I probably, I really like Texas. (laughs) uh, So New Yorkers, if they move somewhere, uh, they move to Florida or California, et cetera. But, uh, (laughs) I, I like spending time here. No, I think um what you find here are people there there's a difference in the business culture. Um, and I, I the way I would describe it is that I think in in sometimes a you know a customer vendor relationship is more combative in other sectors. You're getting, you know, um uh aggressive uh RFPs, RFIs, people are pushing hard. Here it's more like you know we're not even going to talk about business for a while we're going to be friends you're going to show me that you understand um uh what my world is like and you know it might take some time but if you're a good citizen and especially in the eyes of you know the other companies in the community etc mm-hmm. we're going to do business together at some point so like the the biggest thing is for me has been the kind of like learning the culture yeah. and uh <laughs> I would say it takes some patience compared to the New York business culture. New Yorkers just want to do a deal right now. Yeah, um, it's
2: very funny. Uh, one of my other friends uh, moved down to Houston from New York, startup founder. And that was one of the biggest things for him, too, was the uh, cultural shift in business. And he's like, his thing was, he's like, people here are like more genuine and want to help you. And he's it's like, it's a- <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's,
0: it's, it's collaborative. Yeah. It's, people are open-minded. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it they're you know, I don't know what it is. They're, they're in less of a hurry than, than yeah. your New Yorkers are for yeah. sure. <laughs> um, so it's that, and you know, I've, I've learned a lot about the industry kind of at, on a rolling basis as we go. Obviously we've got subject matter experts in house now Yeah, who I've learned a lot from, and you really learn from, you learn from the questions your prospects and your customers ask you, you know, and then you go back and, um, pick up more about the sector and it's, 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 super complicated. Like the, the seismic project I mentioned, you know, we've got calls with 10 or 15 geophysicists, you know, explaining the nuances of seismic surveys and all that sort of thing. Yeah. I don't know where you would get that knowledge. It's, you know, it's, you know is there even yeah. a book to go, yeah. you know, is, it's written down inside you know the walls of corporations, etc. So you I think learn, it's you, you learn
2: pretty quick when yeah. you hang around smart people, and they get exactly. to talking, you, you get yeah. that osmosis.
0: Yeah, yeah, and you, you got to take it as it comes, and you know you build up, and I think you know you're an expert after you're confused for ten or twenty years, and then <laughs> one day you're confused less than everybody else. But uh, no, it's complicated. You know, there's strong analogies to other sectors that that we have uh, competence in, but also. It's different, uh, and there's definitely, I feel, some of this, um, you know, in oil and gas, uh, an example from another sector kind of helps a little bit, but they really want you to know what exactly is relevant to them. Who are your other references within the sector? You know, yeah. who's, who exactly, like me, is, is using <laughs> yeah. it sort of thing. So, no, it's been fun. It, it um, good. And, uh, but yeah, very rewarding, and um, yeah, looking forward to it uh, again, I think, now that I'm back, I'll probably continue to be back, you know, three to six times per year yeah. as we go.
2: So, you know, block apps as a company, did you guys bootstrap this? Did you guys go get funding? You know, how did y'all actually approach building the technological um, solution and then building a team to go execute?
0: Yeah, good question. So we're a venture-backed company. Um, we also, you know, uh, compared to some of the others in the sector, right, I suppose that. Uh, maybe more of our working capital comes from revenue which is is great um best, best type the, of the capital, capital is non-dilutive yes. revenue yeah, yeah. yeah. like yeah. there was like some
1: some very non-subtle shade thrown right
0: there <laughs> <laughs> i didn't name any of them the we're a PepsiCo company too about. man yeah. so we get it, we get it. <laughs> no um so we um yes probably pretty aware of consensus they they're a big brands so yep. we were kind of incubated by consensus and then Started to raise uh, independent capital after that and been cool. independent for um, some time. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, you know, it's been a journey. Uh, speaking, like speaking of revenue, how
2: does you pricing model work when, um, I mean, obviously there's probably a ton of variables that go into this question. But when you set up um, nodes and smart contracts and you have companies um, transacting together, I mean, is that done on, are we talking yearly uh, subscriptions? Is it per transaction? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you guys think about that in terms of modeling it? Yeah,
0: no, we, we try to lock in a five-year deal at a minimum and collect it all up front. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it, subscription, subscription model. Deal. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, subscription model, we, uh, tends to be some upfront, uh, either education or implementation. So have a professional services side of the business that, in you know markets that are still relatively early, it's very important and you know yeah. useful in building the relationship, learning what customers really need, making sure that they're happy. So we'll have a subscription component, um, then we'll have uh, sort of some one-time aspects of it, and you know in the end it will end up uh, proportional to like the amount of usage and the value uh, that'll vary based on uh, the use case, um, the type of consumption, how much. How how many participants in the network there are? Yeah, you know, how many users, all that sort of thing. So got you. You know, it's early enough that uh, sometimes folks want uh, pricing a particular way, and we might say, okay, well, we can track that, so we can yeah. work with it. Yeah, um,
2: cool. So you know, for you guys, what's the what's the goal in terms of scaling the company? Like, obviously, y'all are putting in time and attention and resources into oil and gas. What other sectors, you know, are y'all are y'all really focused on outside of oil and gas? Yeah, um,
0: that's a great question. I would say we have four segments. Oil and gas is one. Agribusiness is another. Um, so might be a talk for another time. But yeah. uh, we have an offering called Trace Harvest, which is aimed at creating basically, you know, from uh, manufacture to consumption, you know, seed to fork traceability. I've in agribusiness.
2: been saying for like two years that someone needs to start the digital wildcatters of the agricultural. Industry because there's so much cool stuff going on there. Maybe this is, we'll just yeah. start it ourselves. Let's yeah, see. We, no, sh- we, we actually did harvest. a piece of content. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: I would say ag tech in general is just yeah, blowing it's up. Taken and off, yeah. um, blockchain within it is just a really natural fit where, you know, um, there are different times when you need traceability and, mm-hmm. and there's more pressure in some areas than others. But when it comes to like, where did my food come from? People really want to know. They yeah. want to know now. Um, yeah. Uh, so individual consumers, but also then. Retail, CPGs, and that pressure is just kind of flowing back through, through the supply chain. Yeah. So uh, ag is another uh, key market for I us. I say
2: that across all commodities. is like, you know, one of the kind of branding spins that you're seeing on natural gas recently oh, yep. is responsibly sourced gas. Like, hey, you know, this... Natural gas is coming from top tier operators in the United States, you know. Um, and
0: I think that you see that across other foods and commodities as well. Yeah, yeah. I I learned the term and this was from a commodity trading outfit. De- decommoditization. You're seeing it everywhere. People are trying to differentiate on, okay, what exactly is in the product? How was it sourced to your point? How was it manufactured? Yeah. Uh, there's getting to be differentiation for what we're <laughs> Can we formally, see this in like the orange juice? <laughs> orange juice <laughs> yeah, yeah. Orange juice yeah. Like, like, oh, that's yeah. a
2: great point. Like the commodities are becoming decommoditized. Like they're, yeah. they're starting to get an edge of where they're sourced.
0: And it's getting easier. So I think part of the reason, uh, like from a you know pricing perspective, uh, commodities were treated as commodities is just, it was impossible to collect the information before yeah. to differentiate. But um, it'll change, right? People, you know, there's- uh, one of our customers like to think of you know Fiji water, right? It's just water, but yeah. the, the brand, uh, <laughs> you know, is special. And you know, there are starting to be real differences in manufacturing processes. So yeah, like Oxy Corporate, um, uh, they've they've kind of explained to us that they've got low carbon intensity manufacturing processes that uh, that like the carbon SIG product can kind of track, and so the footprint should be lower than the EPA number and. They think you'll start to see differentiation at the pump, like you do with kind of low ethanol varieties. Interesting.
2: Today. Yeah, so, that's interesting. Um,
0: it, it's happening everywhere. Yeah. But so yeah, ag, another big vertical market. We've got some government kind of defense oriented activity, uh, and we've got lots of startups. So tech companies um, focused on a particular vertical need. They're they're using our platform. We've also got cool. sort of let's um, say blockchain focused professional services firms who are building something that we don't serve directly from an app perspective for, you know, big corporation a or B. Yeah. And so those are really, is the, the, is the business model
1: still SAS in, in those instances. Okay.
0: Center. Yeah. Um, just, um, you know, it, whether they're buying the app plus the platform or just. The platform.
2: Are you guys seeing any movement or interest and in adjacent energy verticals, um, you know, whether it's renewables um, such as solar wind um hydro nuclear anything like that, or um is most of the focus on oil and gas
0: bulk of the focus is oil and gas we've had some utilities again around kind of the trading side, yeah so uh just the the public power markets are pretty interesting, and they've got yeah. just like the banks do they've got transactional settlement challenges uh that are hard to deal with and and very manual at this time when you're Talking about physical delivery of energy so i yeah. guess that's yeah you know a one one or two steps removed from the oil and gas firms yeah but they oil and gas also has done very similar work um in commodity trading with yeah. The blockchain There's a couple yeah
2: i mean there. you know some of the early applications were like uh i want to say like total doing mm-hmm. some energy trading and things of that nature so it made sense um you know from finance perspective but i was always a lot more interested from ops perspective of yeah. how do you increase efficiency across supply chain logistics at an operations level so it's cool to see that um you know there's there's people like you that you know have been involved with some of the early blockchain projects like ethereum now looking at oh hey here's this industry oil and gas that has massive uh problems that can be solved with technology and really my favorite part of energy tech as a whole right now i think this trend's gonna continue over the next ten years or so is at the intersection of oil and gas and sustainability, mm. and everyone likes to talk about uh carbon sequestration and all of these kind of like big just out there ideas, but there's so many things that we can do today that help clean up the industry and allow us to keep you know um mining and producing hydrocarbons but do it in a cleaner uh mm. and more sustainable way so it's really interesting to see blockchain
0: being used. that in that fashion to to your point on a crossover use case uh from ag and energy um, i I forget who it it actually was you saw really big investments going on in biofuels right now so yeah um and and you know like our, our our friends at Bayer, big customer of ours they've got some public programs listed where they're um trying to help growers basically they'll pay our rebates to a grower for particular um farming practices so they can claim in bulk carbon offsets oh, from nice. them. Yeah. And then, you know, so if you, if you think about kind of the biofuel, so the ethanol outputs and all that sort of uh, use case, that's, that really ties it together. Um, yeah. In which, you know, the, the oil and gas companies, you know, people say energy transition, right? And, and I, I think for a while, hydrocarbons are just going to be the most efficient way to um, yeah. consume, cheapest way to consume energy. But yeah. uh, they, you know, the technology evolves. They're very interested in being, you know, energy, Versus just oil and gas companies as, as it becomes feasible. And there's a good tie in there.
2: Yeah. That's, uh, we were just visiting one of our friends um, at his company, uh, some Vita, and they use DNA sequencing uh, to turn CO2 into uh, feedstock. So, like, they're working with Oxy mm-hmm. on their carbon sequestration to uh, turn CO2 that they're capturing into ethanol. And I'm like sitting here thinking about, how blockchain could be used in those use cases to okay you know oxy's now capturing carbon and so they've got offsets that you know they're generating from that and then they're taking that carbon and generating uh feedstock for other uh chemicals or products and so you can start tracking all of that with blockchain applications
0: yeah absolutely uh- Perfect use case for us. Uh, yeah, so we'll have to. Uh, we'll have to <laughs> He's like, we got to go dive call them up. up like know. here. I'm just going out really, here doing biz dev for you yeah, exactly. live <laughs> on the show. <laughs> <laughs> have you guys broken into the weed industry? You know, uh, I don't even know how much I should comment. On this. <laughs> I, I would say the interesting thing about cannabis, right? It, I just um, feel like
1: it's going to become a commodity soon. And you're talking about decommodization. So then, can you go into like. I don't know they're, different they're strains, different so strains, and like that. how hybrid something is, or how rare something is, and yeah.
0: <laughs> let me let me tell you what I've learned, because um, you know we get we get inbounds. Basically, after trace harvests, uh, we get a lot of cannabis inbounds where there are actually legal requirements in the U.S. and in Canada as well. U.S. it varies by state, of course, to be able to track um, lineage and pretty much track and trace end to end from planting to distribution. So some mm-hmm. states, you are the regulations almost force you to be vertically integrated. You know, you've got to know everything that happened to the product along the way. And so you need to control the operations from the farm to retail. Some states actually forbid you from being vertically integrated. And um, so we, you know, there's some software companies that cover this use case, the the bulk, you know, it's the wild west, right? If you're mm-hmm. uh, uh, given that it's not legal federally, if you're kind of a cannabis grower, you're you know, you've got a pretty healthy risk tolerance. Um, A lot of these folks are just on spreadsheets. They do their compliance with figuring out, you know, tracking everything just, you know, at an Excel level and passing that on to the next uh, hop in the value chain. Um, There is... Real questions about the lineage, like no one knows what like purple kush number seven actually is. uh, So So what does that actually mean? Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you exactly where it came from. (laughs) And when you do spot checks on the genetics, the the few times people published studies about it, there's no real – it doesn't mean anything. You can have different stuff under the same label. Yeah. So I think eventually – consumers will start to care about that. I think maybe right now cannabis consumers just care like is it good or is it not? Am I going to get high or not? Exactly. That's all they care about. Yeah. Um <laughs> but uh you know it'll it'll change, right? It's uh over time as probably I I'm, I'm guessing you're going to see if not national acceptance, more and more states, especially you know, in, in New York, we yeah. legalized, and I and then you know, I don't know if it's a fifteen eighteen percent tax or something that, that that's being floated. It's uh, yeah. going to be a big revenue center yeah. for certain states. So yeah. and they're gonna have to regulate heavily, and and so. I think probably the the story for blockchain and cannabis is more gonna come from the state level from mm-hmm. from the organic adoption level but uh, yeah I can say that we're not spending much time on it despite yeah. you know, <laughs> all these, these words I've given you um,
2: so if uh, someone's listening to the show and they want to check you guys out um, what's the what's the website for
0: block apps yep yeah, uh, we're at BlockApps.net. okay um, I'm Kieran James Lubin if you cool. uh, you know you can uh, Check us out on, cool. on the web and, you know, we're, we're pretty friendly people. Just get in touch and uh, friendly people we'll
2: chat. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll drop a link in the show notes to Block Apps, so uh, you can check them out, Google them, uh, reach out to them. Really exciting things that they're working on. Appreciate you coming on the show, man. This yeah. is uh, exciting stuff.
0: No, thank you. This is so, great. We'll
2: have to come on sometime when we can get more into crypto. And, uh, as and as as a, I was about to get a
1: notification. Ethereum's up five point six percent in the last twenty four hours. There so, there you
2: <laughs> do you do
0: you
1: have any? Do you have any insider info? Do you have any forecast on where <laughs> do you think no Ethereum's going to be? No insider info at all.
0: Don't <laughs> give investment. Uh, well, okay, I'll tell you what my investment algorithm for crypto is.
1: Oh,
2: let's hear. Um, it.
0: When people I know who are not in tech and not in crypto start asking me about crypto, NFTs, et cetera, all that sort of thing. <laughs> I sell it.
2: Yeah, it's a crypto is like the easiest thing to invest and divest because you can yeah. very much measure tops and yeah, bottoms. Yeah, and and, <laughs> and
0: when the Wall Street Journal is calling for the end of crypto again, or you know, <laughs> scary regulation is looming, I think crypto's over. I consider buying. You know what? And the same it. the
2: same thing applies yeah. to oil and gas as well. So very mm-hmm. cyclical, and Indeed. it's very easy to call tops and bottoms. So. Yeah. All right, man. Appreciate you coming on here. Looking forward to seeing what you guys do in the space. You know you're welcome by our, our place anytime you're in Houston. So absolutely, looking uh, forward to us, it, man.
0: Let us know if you're in New York. Have uh, you buy our office? Yeah, and, would love you know, to. Give you a little tour. We'll so make that happen it. for
2: sure.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, appreciate you coming down. If you guys haven't checked out the new uh, Big Digital Energy BDE newsletter, go check it out. Subscribe. It's growing very, very rapidly. Uh, we'll catch you guys in the next episode. Go, go, go.